Hey everybody, welcome to your weekly sermon from Brad Tuttle Ministries. I am really glad you decided to join me today. I hope that as you listen to these and watch these, that these are a blessing to you. And uh, they encourage you and they instigate you and they challenge you. Uh, we've been talking about holiness over the last few weeks, which I think is foundational for us to we need to have that in our arsenal. That has to be foundational to us because if we don't have a drive to live a holy life, because in the understanding that we serve a holy, holy God, then that's when the church ends up looking like the world. People need to have this drive in themselves to to uh, be more like Christ, to live a godly life. And so we've been being challenged in that over the last few weeks. I am going to make a little bit of a turn here, but yet it's still, I think it's still in the category of holiness because um, you'll, you'll see us in a second when I'm reading this, but I, I've been thinking a lot and reading a lot about, uh, I've probably ate up four or five books already from the first of the year, at least from the first last week of December till now on several of those have had to do with uh, persecutions and sufferings that Christians uh, deal with in the hostile, restricted nations of the world right now, at this moment. Um, and as a matter of fact, when the Olympics are going to be going on, there's going to be followers of Christ in prison being tortured and beaten for their faith in Christ. So it's happening right now. And it's been really on my heart. And so I've been also reading every morning and getting into uh, and just kind of praying through Second Timothy and uh, chapter 2. It's been a real blessing to me. And I'm going to preach something out of that today that kind of has to do with the whole persecution thing. We're going to tackle that a little bit more next week as well. But I think this is a foundational sermon, scripture verses that I'm going to give you right now that uh, are going to cause you, if you don't yet, to look at yourself uh, the way you need to as a man or a woman of God. And the title of this sermon today is A Good Soldier of Jesus Christ. A Good Soldier of Jesus Christ. And we will be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 4. So pause it, find your verse, come back, and let's read it together. All right, you ready? Paul is talking to young Timothy, and he's trying to encourage him in the ministry. He spent some time a little earlier in the book trying to encourage him and told him, God did not give you a spirit of cowardice, but one of power, of love, and a sound, disciplined mind. And he's trying to challenge him. Come on, man, you got to rise up and got to be the man of God you've called to be. Uh, and here's an aspect of it he's telling him. He says these words, suffer hardship with me. The me is Paul, suffer hardship with me. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, verse 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him. Pretty powerful stuff, right? Suffer hardship with me. You know, we will cover this in the next couple of uh, sermons and probably through the rest of the year. I'll be touching on parts of it, but we have, been, we have been called not to an easy road in a sense. Yes, we get saved. We are made right with God. Ultimately, that's the most important thing. But Jesus promises us there will be hardship and there will be persecution. Second uh, Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So this phrase, suffer hardship with me. In the Greek, this is a compound verb. It's a real long word. Uh, it's a compound verb, and it means 
to suffer what is bad, to suffer ill treatment, to endure persecution, to suffer misfortune, and to do all these things together with another. So this verb, and it's only found here and again in 2 Timothy 1.8, where Paul commands Timothy again to join with him in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. In the Greek, the word suffer here, this is not a suggestion. He's saying suffer with me. This is a command in the Greek. And it's in what we call the aorist tense and the imperative mood of that Greek verb. And both of the aorist tense and the imperative mood, they convey this sense of urgency. And they, they ring out like a sharp military command. So the idea of this verb being in the aorist imperative is, is, is he's saying it like this. Do this now and do it effectively. It's a command. Do this now. Suffer with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. One, bomb, one Bible commentator, he noted and made a comment on the aorist imperative of this verb. He said, it's a sharp command given with military snap and curtness. He went on to say, how we in the ministry of the word need that injunction today. What softies we sometimes are afraid to come out clearly in our proclamation of the truth and our stand to, as to false doctrine fearing the ostracism of our fellows, the ecclesiastical displeasure of our superiors, or the cutting off of our immediate financial income. I would rather walk a lonely road with Jesus than be without his fellowship in the crowd, wouldn't you? I would rather live in a cottage and eat simple food and have him as head of my house and the unseen guest at every meal than to live in a royal style in a mansion without him. And understand something, this command to... Uh, do it now to suffer with him. This is something you can't do in your own strength. This is, uh, God didn't mean for you to try to do this in your own power. That's why we have the Holy Spirit with us. And with, with him in us, we can now live this out. Because understand something, we in the West have it easy. We do not, and I'll talk about this a little bit later in the sermon, we don't go through persecution per se. Again, I tell you the truth. They're factual in nations around the world. Understand something. Communism, um, uh, Islamic terrorism, those types of false religions, they hate Christianity. And the goal of them is to wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. That's coming to America. That whole communistic, socialistic type of government is trying to move into this nation, and it will try to completely wipe out anything that has to do with Christianity. So some places overseas, if they get, if a, if a Muslim gets converted to Christianity or someone gets saved in some of these very restricted hostile nations, they now basically sign a death warrant. People will try to kill them, but they know that and they understand because the Bible talks to them, there's going to be persecution. So within that, they see what I'm doing, I'm doing because this is, I'm living out the word of God, but we don't have that here. There's no, there's no, um, we don't, we don't have to give up anything. There's no, you know, they, they, they have to, there's a cost in, in this decision for them. And there's not much of a cost in it to us. That's why people make such haphazardly easy speaking, you know, just easy to uh, get uh, salvation messages and pray this prayer, raise your hand, walk forward, now you're saved. There's no cost involved. 
And yeah, people will do that. But when there's a cost involved, that's what separates the sheep from the goats. And you got people overseas that are standing for Christ, going through terrible situations, you know, run out of their families, families disown them, try to kill them. Some are killed, some are martyred, all because they follow after Christ. So there will be, and I will, I guarantee you, this kind of thing is going to be coming to this nation eventually, where the people, especially coming into the church, are going to be persecuted for preaching a proper gospel, for preaching the word of God. So we can do this because the Holy Spirit energizes us with the ability to do this, to accomplish this in our lives. And he gives us the power to obey this. Um, again, the idea of suffering for someone's faith is foreign to most of us in Western Christianity. And Paul wanted Timothy to not have any illusions about this, but to understand that being faithful to the truth, unwilling to twist it, unwilling to compromise it for personal gain and constantly preaching it even against the threat of persecution would, inevit would inevitably lead to suffering. He knew that if Timothy was going to do what he's supposed to do for God, it's going to lead to persecution and suffering. So Paul was not masking this. He was not hiding this. He's letting me know, you follow this command, this is going to come, but you've got to be faithful to do what God's called you to do. And uh, again, this faith is, this truth is well known to people in other countries who have suffered terrible imprisonment, beatings, and even death. And all of this to us, even over here in the West, this should not come as a surprise because Jesus talked about it. I should say he warned his disciples of certain warfare in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. John 15, 18 through 21. He says this, this is Jesus talking. If the world, when the world represents the self-centered, godless value system of fallen mankind, which loves sin and error and hates truth and holiness. So that is the world. So if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Listen, every truth, that's powerful. And that's truth. And that's Jesus's words. Every true believer is, in a sense, they are an active soldier and they're an active service. And we must expect, as a soldier in active service, some measure of ill treatment, even as every soldier does. And our secular environment, again, this environment that's moving towards socialism, towards trying to make this a communist nation, um, this secular environment, environment that is, uh, doesn't like God, doesn't like anything Christian, um, in our society, it's becoming more and more hostile to men and women of God, to Christianity and to actually religion in general, because they don't believe in God. They're atheistic. And so there's no, there's no holding to or worshiping of a sovereign God. And as a matter of fact, um, left, the, the leftists are doing everything they can. They're literally trying to remove any semblance of Christianity in America. 
They're, they're, this no prayer in schools. Kids can't even pray over their meals in schools. To removing every single inscription that speaks of God from buildings and even buildings around the Capitol. But we are not yet, like I said this earlier, we're not yet faced with job loss or imprisonment or execution because of our faith. And with few exceptions, being a Christian will not keep a student out of college or a worker from getting a good job. But mark, mark my words here, but the more faithful a Christian becomes and the more the Lord blesses his work, the more Satan will put roadblocks, hardships, and rejection in the way the more evident the spiritual warfare will become and the more frequent and obvious the hardship will come. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Early church father Chrysostom wrote this, it behooves thee not to complain if thou endure hardness, but to complain if thou dost not endure hardness. Another commentator said, a Christian without affliction is only like a soldier on parade. Listen, too often Christianity is presented to non-believers, and this is, this is so bad, but you see it all the time, especially on TV evangelists and people that are preaching on TV. The Christianity is presented to non-believers as the cure to all their anxieties, all their difficulties, and all their trials. And this kind of so-called gospel that people are spewing out can result in false disciples and or false expectations. Paul is making sure that he's not giving Timothy any false expectations. This is going to be a difficult journey. If you're willing to do what God has called you to do, if you're willing to rise up and be the soldier that God has called you to be, this is not going to be an easy journey. You will suffer hardships and you will have persecution. So he says, suffer with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In essence, Paul's invitation, it rings true to all of us. Take, your, take up your armor and join me in a lifelong struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Take up your armor and join me in a lifelong struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Paul wanted to encourage Timothy here to stand strong like he himself had for so long. Paul kept going forward, beaten. I mean, this guy... They're living out in other nations of the world what Paul lived through in the book of Acts. The beatings, the tortures, the suffering, uh, the, the, the imprisonment in terrible, filthy-type prisons. This, All this for because he was so set on sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ that people tried to kill him, and they tried to stop him over and over again. And Paul kept going forward, and he stayed strong. Now he's trying to pass that on to this young man in the ministry. So we asked, did Timothy obey him? Well, Paul answers this himself in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 11, where he wrote later, he said, You, talking about Timothy, closely followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance, persecutions, and suffering. So the young man took it, and the young man ran with it. Good for him. And so as I'm telling you this, I need to take it and run with it, and you need to take it and run with it as well. So again, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The word good, this word good here in the Greek, it doesn't uh, refer to that which is superficial or cosmetic, but to what is genuinely and inherently good, organically healthy, fit, useful, and serviceable. Paul is urging Timothy to be a fit, useful soldier of 
Christ Jesus. And that latter phrase indicating that Timothy was not his own, but belonged to Christ and was to engage in spiritual warfare for him. It says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, who is the commander, right? Charles Spurgeon said this quote, he said, a truly good soldier of Jesus Christ knows nothing about difficulties except as things to be surmounted. If his master bids him perform exploits too hard for him, he draws upon the resources of omnipotence and achieves impossibilities. Listen, it's coming. It may be coming to this nation sooner than we think. We've got to stand strong. We've got to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ, to suffer, to be willing, to go to hardship and suffer for what God has called us to do. Paul does not exhort Timothy to be a common or ordinary soldier, but to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What are good soldiers? What do they look like? Well, a truly good soldier for Jesus Christ is loyal to his king. He's loyal to his commander, Jesus Christ. He's obedient to Christ's commands. Um, he's a soldier who is brave uh, every moment that he has to be brave. When the time comes and the orders are given for the good soldier to advance the attack, he is glad to be there. Man, I, I, I'm going to start sharing some of these stories uh, that have true life accounts that have happened in some of these books. And you can see in some of these people's lives overseas, they are soldiers of Jesus Christ, good soldiers of Christ Jesus. A good soldier is like a rock under attack. He derives his strength from on high. Suffer with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now verse four, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please him who the so that he may please the one who enlisted him so the point here is that a good soldier in active service does not have a 9 to 5 job but is on duty and needs to be alert around the clock 24/7 Remember, the Bible says the devil was walking around as a roaring lion, seeking people to, to, to devour. We have got to be on the alert, on duty. Again, we don't, we're not clocking out at five. This is a 24-7 thing, all day long, every day, every hour of the day. We are on active duty. And a soldier on active duty is always a soldier. You have to always keep the mindset that you are are in a battle. If you're doing something for God, you better keep in your mindset that you are in a battle. He does, we cannot call time out in the middle of the battle. The battle is raging around us and we're being called to make a difference in the midst of this battle. And this picture emphasizes the total commitment that's necessary in order to be a good soldier. It's this commitment to give your life to Christ Man, again, I'll say it probably more times today. Just these people give their lives to Jesus overseas uh, in these other nations of the world, and they're hated, and their families try to kill them, and they do kill them, or they torture them, and they do this because of Christ and what Jesus means to them, and they don't give it up. They don't renounce it. They don't go, they don't, they don't go back on it. They stay with it in the midst of any possible thing that could come their way. It is total commitment. And that's what we are called to be over here as well. Totally 
committed. Military service, it involves self-sacrifice. It involves endurance, discipline, vigilance, obedience, ready cooperation with others, sympathy, enthusiasm, and loyalty. And Solomon wrote in Ecclesians 8.8, Ecclesiastes 8.8, he wrote, there is no discharge in the time of war. Ecclesiastes 8.8, there is no discharge in the time of war. So I ask you right now, are you involved in the world or are you entangled by the world? No soldier, it says, in active service. If you're truly born again, you are in active service. You're not a bench warmer. Get off the bench, get in the game, be the soldier that God has called you to be. No soldier in active service, here's that word, entangles. That Greek word, empleco, literally means to weave in and so to intertwine. Listen to this. Empleco described the person entangled in his garments or a person who is caught in some type of vine. Empleco described a runner whose garments had entangled his legs, hindering his ability to run in such a way as to win. Wow, what a great word picture for that. You can't be entangled by the affairs of life that will now hinder you in running the race that God has called you to run. And by using this word, Paul tells us that as committed Christians, we don't have the privilege of getting too involved or intertwined with matters that are relatively unimportant in the light of eternity. And this is not to say that we're not to be involved in the affairs of everyday living, but rather we are not to be entangled in them. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. One Bible commentator, Warren Wiersbe, said, Identification with the world and its needs is one thing. Imitation of the world and its foolishness is quite another. Let me repeat that. Identification with the world and its needs is one thing. Imitation of the world and its foolishness is quite another. No man, no woman who's in war, no man who signed up for the army is to get involved in the little mundane entangling things of life. Someone says, hey, I'm in a battle and I can't get bogged down with the cares of this life. What that looks like for each individual will vary. And sometimes these things, we talked about this in one of our earlier messages at the beginning of the year, that these things that will entangle us are not necessarily all the times what we would look at as being bad things, but they are things that are sucking our time from us and keeping us from getting to where we really need to be, whether it be in God's word, whether it be in prayer, or whatever it is to get out there and do what God's called us to do. We cannot let these things stop us from what's really, really important, and that is all things that are eternal. A true soldier, he's a single-minded single minded disciple, but he does, not get, he does not get entangled in the world. He avoids anything that will hinder single-minded dedication to his master. He avoids anything that will hinder single-minded dedication to his master. And Paul put it this way in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Philippians 3, 13 through 14, Paul said, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straighting toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul was a fervent man for Christ. He had single-minded devotion. And mind you, single-minded devotion to a thing, whether that's a sport or a cause, can turn you into a machine. But when it's given to Christ, who is perfect God and perfect man, whose commands are consonant with perfect love and wisdom and our highest good, then we can become what we ought to be and can stand tall even in suffering. When we are doing it single-minded devotion. These people, some of these stories that I've read, they will, they, they, they receive Christ into their hearts through some miraculous way. The gospel gets to them. They give their lives to because somebody was out there doing, was a good soldier of Jesus Christ and was sharing the gospel with them in this extremely hostile nation towards Christianity. They get born again and they can't contain themselves. They need to tell somebody. And so they'll go out knowing what it could cost them, but they're willing to tell somebody because they are they have single-minded devotion. Single-minded devotion. Man, how much do all of us need single-minded devotion to the things of God? We must purposefully focus on Him and willingly join with His followers in suffering hardship like good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Listen, Anything that interferes with our being the best that we can be for him is to be sacrificed. Anything that interferes with our being the best that we can be for him is to be sacrificed. However harmless it may be to others and however attractive it may be to ourselves. The follower of Christ, we must live in the world but he must not let the world live in him. Listen, a boat in water is by design, but water in the boat is disaster. Let me read that whole thing to you again. Anything that interferes with our being the best we can be for him is to be sacrificed, however harmless it may be to others and however attractive it may be to ourselves. The follower of Christ must live in, in the world but he must not let the world live in him. A boat in water is by design, but water in the boat is disaster. One Bible commentator said it this way. He said, Paul's not speaking about things that necessarily are wrong in themselves. It is not that a soldier should have no contact at all with his former friends and surroundings, but that he is not to become caught up and enmeshed in them. Those things are irrelevant to his soldiering and are always subject to being relinquished. In the same way, a good soldier of Christ Jesus refuses to allow earthly matters to interfere with the fulfillment of his duty to his Lord. Many Christians, pastors, special ministries, and doctrinally sound churches have been undermined by concerns and activities that are innocent in themselves, but have been allowed to crowd out the primary purpose of serving Jesus Christ in the advancing of his kingdom against the forces of darkness. It may not even seem like it's a harmful thing, but if it is stealing away, 
if it's hindering your race, if you're getting enmeshed with it, if you're getting entangled with it, and it's keeping you from straining forward, from pressing towards the goal, then you need to, you need to, like we said, first sermon of the year, you need to rid yourself of that stuff. You've got a job to do. We're coming, we're in, we in a daze right now. We look around us, you know, all of us who believe that we're in the last days, that Jesus' return could be imminent. We're in this situation right now where you see it literally happening. You see the movement upon this nation, using our political leaders within this nation to spread this socialistic agenda. You see it, and there's going to be a call for men and women of God to stand up and be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And one thing that you'll hear when I read some of these stories, they'll always say that uh, once they get imprisoned or they get, and they're being tortured, one of the things the torturers are doing is trying to get names from them of other people that they know that are believers. And what happens is some people give up the names. They'll go to them. And so my point is, is that some are going to be so singly minded, devoted that there's no way they're not going to give up any name and they're not going to, they're not going to relinquish the name of Christ. But when the rubber hits the road and the suffering and the persecution really come again, that will separate the real from the false. So one race, one war, one life, one race, one war, one life. Will you fight the good fight? Will you be laying, will you be willing to lay aside the good in order to experience God's best. Amen. And lastly, it says, so that he may please the one who enlisted him. That phrase, the one who enlisted him in the Greek primarily means to gather or select as a warrior or choose to be a soldier and is used here in what we call the verb participle form to describe the soldier's commander. A Christian's commander is Jesus Christ, whom the one, that's the one we endeavor to please. I am in the army of God because Jesus enlisted me in this army. It was all his work. He did it from beginning to end. I am now in the army of God. I am a soldier and man, I'm going to make sure that I am living my life as a good soldier, as a prop proper, useful, fit-for-service soldier that is bringing pleasure to my commander through my obedience and my loyalty and my single-minded devotion. Paul's constant ambition, whether at home or absent, was to be pleasing to his Lord, 2 Corinthians 5.9. His constant ambition, whether here on earth or absent, was to be pleasing to his Lord. And that word to please means to give or be the source of satisfaction, pleasure or contentment to another. It means satisfying or behaving properly toward one with whom one is related and to please him. Paul's purpose, his radical transformation that took him from a Christian killer to probably of all, of all the people that we've ever read about and known about, one of the if not the greatest, as far as a human being, uh, single-minded, devoted disciple that we will that we will ever read of. And um, I know many have been martyred. He was martyred. Others have gone and laid their lives down. But what we get is three quarters of the New Testament about his life, and we see what he went through and how he kept on going. His purpose was to please his commander, and he did it as a good soldier 
of Jesus Christ. Paul's purpose was, his, Paul's purpose was, you can see it in his life, was to bring as many um, sinners to the Savior as he possibly could. He literally endeavored to enlist every person that he could. And to do this, he's, he was, in order to do it, he was constantly speaking uh, of Jesus to everybody that he came in contact with. That's some of the things I just talked to you about these stories in the book. They will go tell everybody knowing the cost. Paul's purpose was as well to honor Christ as highly as possible. He never wearied speaking about Jesus Christ. He never thought that he could speak too highly of Christ. If he preached, he preached Christ. If he wrote, he wrote of Christ. If he gave an example for imitation, it was Christ. If he finished a powerful motive, it was fetched from Christ. Christ was his alpha and his omega, his first and last, his all in all. And Paul's purpose was to glorify God both by doing and suffering. He looked upon himself as purchased property and was willing to lay it all on the line for the cause of Christ. Wow. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 um, says this, And he looked upon all the soldiers of the cross in the same light, Therefore, writing to the regiment, which was quartered at Corinth, he said, You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so just to make sure that they would not misunderstand that he meant that his principle should be carried out in every aspect of life, he said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, those are those things we do on everyday, basic things we do every life, whether you, therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We as soldiers of the cross of Christ, we are never not trying to glorify God in, in the way we live our lives. And the way people see our lives should be a life that is glorifying God. Does your life as a believer look like it's really glorifying God? It should be, and so should mine. In writing to the battalion, which was quartered at Philippi, um, there were many people within that church that were trying to uh, say Paul wasn't actually an apostle. They're trying to bring in their own uh, teachings of the word of God, false teachings and such. Paul said in Philippians 1.20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or whether it be by death. Suffer hardship with me is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Remember, I said this second, uh, second Timothy chapter three, verse 12 says, indeed, if anyone desires to be godly in Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution. So I say to you, brother, sister, soldier out there, let this be our object as well. In every plan we form, in every engagement we undertake, in everything we do, let us aim at the glory of our good and gracious God. Every morning we should ask this, how can I glorify my God today? In every undertaking, we need to examine how we may glorify God as we fulfill that undertaking. 
man, if we lived our lives with our constantly mindset of that single-minded devotion, it would completely, it'll change you. God is glorified by us when we trust in his promises. When we walk by his precepts or according to his word. He is glorified by us when we worship at his throne. When we praise him for his mercies. When we spread his truth. When we assist his cause. When we try to benefit his people. When we enlist souls into his army. And when we put on the whole suit of armor he has provided. God is glorified by us with a bold and courageous front as we resist and repel his foes. I want and you need to want your life to glorify God and you will do that. And when you do, you will do that as living your life as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's how we please the one who has enlisted us to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And let me close with this very quickly. I read one of my first books this year was a man called Richard Rembrandt. Um, who actually, uh, back in the um, 40s, he was put into a Romanian prison because he, this is a really cool aspect. He was a, um, a Jewish man who'd been converted, so he's telling people about Jesus. And God gave him, you know, even though the, the Nazis had come in and dealt with them terribly in Romania, then the communists conquered them and they came in. Well, the communists were as bad or worse than the Nazis were at that time, and they hated, again, it's atheistic. Um, it does not believe in Christianity, does not believe in God. So it's going to try to snuff everything out that's like that. Well, him and his wife are serving the Lord and they're witnessing to people in underground churches and this and that. Well, they got invited to this thing. Um, it was this big gathering of all the so-called ministry leaders and military leaders uh, in this big meeting. And they were going to whatever. They're all supposed to be there and hail to the, you know, the, the head of the Communist Party and and all that. And he was sitting there with his wife and he said, we watched every single preacher get up and completely compromise their stand for Christ just so they could make sure they, that the government would look at them and give them things and entitle them to stuff. And he was sitting there with his wife who's born again as well. Um, and she, he, you know, she goes, are you going to get up and say something? And he looked at her, he goes, if I get up and I say something, you will never have a husband again. You'll never see me again. And she looked at him and said, well, I don't want to be married to a coward. He stood up in front of all those people and began to talk to them about who we're really supposed to be worshiping, about who really is the king. And man, they, they marked him. When he got done, they marked him. He knew it. He knew that he's going to pay a price. Not too long later, they, they pulled over uh, while he's walking on his way to church and they um, kidnapped him, put him in. And for the next 14 years... He spent his life in merciless torture, imprisonment, in the most horrible type of situations, at times with TB, suffering through this, but he never gave up a name. He never denounced Christ year after year after year, sometimes in solitary confinement, I think for his first three years, literally. And these weren't prisons that are like American prisons. These prisons were filthy and they were just completely nasty. And he lived in that for 14 years, not knowing anything about his wife who had also herself had been captured and tortured and put into a slave labor camp over there. So they're separated from 14 years, but he lived through this 
14 years later, he gets amnesty and he gets out. And now he started a ministry called Voice for the Modern and he tells his story. I could be much more graphic, but I'm not going to. But suffice it to say, he had single. You're living in a prison like that for 14 years. You've given up your life because of the cause of Christ, because you're willing to pay the price to count the cost and to stand for Jesus Christ. And you give your entire life up. And at any moment, he said literally what they wanted to do, they didn't even want to kill him. They wanted to make him suffer as much as they could. And he lived through that single-minded devotion. That, folks, that is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You may never be called to that type of um, situation, but still, even us here in the West, whether it starts to come soon or whenever it comes, we need to take a stand now and get prepared for what might be coming to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. So in the, in the middle of it, we are standing strong, we are persevering, and we are accomplishing everything that God has called us to accomplish. That's how we become a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I just thank you for this time together with everybody who's been watching. I, I pray, God, this means so much to me, and I pray that that has come through to them. I pray that they will grasp this, that this will instigate them, this will challenge them, this will motivate them, this will get them to be people who are willing to unentangle themselves from this, uh, these, some of the affairs of life that are hindering them from running their race for God. I pray this will instigate them to a new life of prayer, the word, a new single-minded devotion to Christ, a new single-minded devotion to what he has called them to do. And if they don't know what he's called them to do, that they would seek it with single-minded devotion to find out exactly what God has for them to do. And they would live out the rest of their lives. We would live out the rest of our lives, myself, them, all of us listening, we'd live out the rest of our lives as good soldiers of Jesus Christ pleasing the one who has enlisted us. Challenge them, Lord. Be with them now. And Father, I just thank you as we close out. I pray for all those that are being persecuted overseas, that are imprisoned overseas right now for the cause of Christ. Father God, strengthen them, um, guide them and give them wisdom, some of those in their covert ministry work. Let them sense our prayers. Let them know they're being cared for. Let them know that people are praying for them. We thank you, Father God, for their endurance, and we thank you for their example to us of people who are willing to count the cost and continue to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for this and so many things other. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen and amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. Man, run with this. Run with this. Be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Count the cost. Live your life as a single-minded with a single-minded devotion to the Lord and Savior of your life, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.